Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is a message brought to our church by a guest speaker. We hope that it is a blessing to you, and we would love to hear how God has used it in your life. Good evening, everybody. Hope you had a, a good Sunday afternoon, and it's good to be back here this evening. Um, man, I, it's, so, it's so great to see what God's doing here at Moses Lake and uh, what the future holds in the days ahead. Pastor Dennis took me and showed me the, the new property that uh, you all just purchased, so I got to see it this afternoon. And man, it's just really exciting to see what God's doing and what he will do. And again, it's been great to be here this weekend, and thank you so much for, for the welcome. So this morning, we talked about what does the Bible have to say about giving? And of course, we, we understood that the Bible has everything that we need for our life. All aspects of our life, the answers are contained within the Word of God. But uh, especially in this realm of money, the Bible has a lot to say. And so we looked specifically about what does the Bible have to say about giving? So tonight, we're going to take uh, two messages really condense them down, boil them down, and we're going to do them together tonight. We're going to talk about what does the Bible say about spending and what does the Bible say about uh, saving, spending and saving. So we're going to start with spending tonight. And, and this is a good topic for us to talk about within an American church context, context because we live in a society that is dominated by consumerism. We are marketed and advertised to death and Even as Christians, if we're not careful, it can be easy for us to get swept up into the consumerism and the materialism of our age, and we have to guard our hearts against that. There's nothing necessarily wrong with us enjoying uh, a vacation with family or a new car or new clothes or any of these types of things. Not necessarily. However, we have to be very careful about our motivation and how we spend our money. So what does the Bible have to say about our spending? So let's start right now. With, with our, first, uh, our first point, and that is this. Uh, debt is not a sin, but it is a burden. Debt is not a sin, but it is a burden. You see, one of the greatest obstacles in the lives of many Americans tonight is debt. Uh, we talked about last, uh, or, or in the, our sessions uh, yesterday morning, about how much debt there is in America, over $14 trillion of consumer debt, be that in mortgages and student loans and car loans and credit cards. And unrestrained debt robs people of joy within their life. And it robs them of the capacity to be able to do things that are much more important with their money. Now, does the Bible prohibit debt? Does the Bible say you could never borrow money? Well, I would submit to you tonight that the Bible does not prohibit debt. It does not say that debt is a sin. However, it contains several very serious warnings about going into debt. Now, in the Old Testament... Uh, as, as God was laying out rules for the Israelites and how they were to conduct their society, he gave rules about borrowing. He, he laid out, here is who's to be charged interest, here's who's not to be charged interest, how loans were to be done and when they were to be forgiven. So God obviously understood and, and, and anticipated that the Israelites would use borrowing and lending in their society, and he set up rules for how they could do it in the right way, in an equitable way. So, I stand here tonight as somebody who has a mortgage, and I suspect there will be some in the room that do as well. So we understand sort of intuitively that it can be a wise use of our money to borrow in certain instances. However, we have to be very careful anytime we enter into a debt arrangement. So let's look first of all tonight at Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 26. That'll be our first passage that we go to. 
So there's several warnings, several potential pitfalls about going into debt. Let's see what the Bible has to say in this area. Proverbs 22, verse 26 says this, be not thou one of them that strikes hands. So strike hands would be uh, to make a handshake agreement. Uh, or of them that are sureties for debts. That would be somebody who guarantees a loan. Do you know what we would call that today? We would call that co-signing. You guarantee somebody's loan. The Bible is saying here in Proverbs 22, 26, to not do that. Why shouldn't we do that? Because, verse 27, if thou hast nothing to pay, why should he take away thy bed from under thee? In other words, why put yourself in a place where you could bear the, the consequences of somebody else's bad behavior or their misfortune? If you guarantee their loan and say, yes, if they don't pay back their loan, I will, well, what happens if something really unfortunate takes place and they can't pay it back? What if they just refuse to pay it back? And then they're going to come and take away your stuff because they, this other person didn't pay back their loan. Now, by the way, we're going to look at several Proverbs tonight. The book of Proverbs is a book of principles, not promises. So that's a very important distinction. A promise is a guarantee. When the Bible says in Proverbs that you are to train up a child in the way they are they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. That's not a promise, it's a principle, because we all have personal agency. We have a personal decision on whether or not we're to follow the Lord. The, God's not saying if you're just a good parent and you train your, your kids in a godly way, automatically they will always live for the Lord. It's a principle that when you parent the right way, very often the result is that your children will follow in that example. And so understand, we're not outlining promises, we're outlining principles. So the principle here is that you shouldn't co-sign. You shouldn't guarantee loans. Not that it's a promise that every time you do, you will lose your money or that you'll, you'll, you'll be uh, uh, taken for, for uh, your, your um, capital and, 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 and your assets, but rather that we have to be very careful to put ourselves in that position. The Bible says that that's not a wise thing to do. Let's look now at verse 7. Same chapter, Proverbs 22 and verse 7. So just a few verses previous. The Bible says this, the rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Did you know that when you borrow, it creates an owner-slave relationship? That the lender is the owner, the borrower is the slave. See, I'm very free to make all kinds of decisions about where I want to spend my money. I can go spend it at uh, this grocery store or this mechanic or this restaurant, but I am not free to make decisions about whether or not I will pay my mortgage. Right? If I just say, eh, I don't feel like paying my mortgage this month, there will be consequences because I, I have an obligation to pay that loan. It's a burden that's placed upon me. So we have to understand, anytime we enter into a debt arrangement, we become the servant, and the lender becomes the owner. And so, again, not that it's a sin, but it does place a burden upon our lives. Now let's look at Psalm 37. Psalm 37 and verse 21. Again, talking about this idea of debt. What does the Bible say about debt? Here's Psalm 37, 21. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again. What's the Bible saying? That to take out a loan with no intention to pay it back, that's wicked. That's evil. We should not do that. But the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. See, borrowing and then not fulfilling your obligation to pay back the debt is wicked. So if you're going to borrow money, you need to consider that very seriously because you have a responsibility before God to do your dead level best to repay that loan. And if you don't think you could reasonably pay back your loan, you shouldn't go into debt. In fact, actually in Ecclesiastes 5.5, 5, that's our next verse, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, one of the wealthiest men who ever lived, 
He said this in Ecclesiastes 5.5, better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. What is Solomon saying? It would be better for you to not borrow any money than for you to borrow and find yourself in a position where you cannot pay it back. So entering into debt, is it wrong? No. However, anytime we make a decision to borrow money, that is not a, a light decision. It is one that we should be very cautious. And I would say it even, uh, in many cases, take time to pray, take time to seek advice, and make sure that whatever situation I'm borrowing, I'm doing so because I believe it's being a good steward of God's money. There's a reason why eight out of 10 people who give regularly to their church don't have any credit card debt. Because, again, debt is such a burden on so many people in our world today that they have a desire to be generous, they have a willingness to be generous, but they have the inability to be generous because debt is such a heavy burden on them. So we have to create a plan to pay off our debt. How do we apply this in our, our lives? Well, we have to address it. We can't just sit back and say, well, I have debt and I wish I could pay it off. We have to be actionable about it, create a plan to pay off debt. Don't keep a balance on your credit card. That's, that's something that is not wise to do. If you have a credit card, you can use it as a tool. It's like social media, okay? If it's not used well, it can be really detrimental and cause a lot of damage. But if you use it responsibly, it can be a very good tool. And so credit cards, I would not say are wrong necessarily. However, we have to be very careful. Don't keep a balance on your credit card. Don't co-sign for loans. Don't put yourself in that position. Have an emergency fund in place so that when something happens, you're not putting yourself in an even more vulnerable financial state by taking out more debt. So debt is a burden. Uh, it's not a sin, but it is a burden. Now, number two, what does the Bible say about spending? Number two, we should value eternal riches over earthly riches. Value eternal riches over earthly riches. We all understand the value of a dollar, but what we really need to understand is the value of eternity and the, and the value of eternal riches. Let's look at Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Jesus gives an interesting parable here. He says in Luke 12, 15, he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. He had a great year, really successful. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. I have had such a good year, I don't even have a pl places to put all of this, these crops. And he said, This will I do. Here's an idea. I'll pull down my barns. I'll build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. You know how we would put that today? We'd say, this guy did so well this year, he's going to retire early. I mean, he literally has so much money that he's going to be able to sit back, not have to work, and he's just going to kind of take it easy. And from our perspective, we'd be like, man, this guy knows what he's doing. That's, that's a success story in our, in our eyes. But what does God say? God said unto him, thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee, then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now don't miss the point of this parable. Why was this man a fool? Is it because he had a good year in his business? Is it because he saved? Is it because he planned? Is it because he had uh, a retirement around the corner? Is that the reason he was a fool? No. God is very clear. The reason he was a fool is because his identity and his hope was all in his earthly riches. 
He was not rich toward God. All that he had was his earthly possessions, but he was about to die. He did not know it, but he was about to step into eternity, and when he did, he had nothing laid up in eternity. And God said that that's foolish. To value earthly riches over eternal riches makes you a fool. Let's not fall into the trap of thinking that our happiness and our identity is going to be found in a certain lifestyle or reaching a certain dollar amount in the bank account or retirement account or taking another trip or getting a new vehicle and thinking that that's what's going to make us happy because it won't. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 21, 19 through 21. This is where we started this morning, the Sermon on the Mount. Notice what Jesus is saying in verses 19 and 20. We focused on verse 21 this morning, but Matthew 6, verse 19 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. In other words, don't place all your hope and your confidence in earthly riches, because those things go away, they decay, they can get stolen. But, by contrast, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt. Why should we value eternal riches over earthly? Because etern- or earthly riches are temporary, but eternal riches are permanent. Earthly riches are fragile. They can be taken away at any time. But eternal riches are secure. I remember seeing a a video that was passed around social media. It was one of those videos that that goes viral. It was a dad. He was filming his son. The kid's maybe 11 or 12 years old. And he's got a $5 bill. And he's got three cups on the table in front of his son. They're all upside down. And he picks up the one cup, and he takes the $5, and he places it on the cup. He says, all right, if you find the money, you can keep it. And he does like the three-card Monty thing where he shuffles the cups. You know what I'm talking about? It kind of mixes it all up. And you're watching, and the kid, of course, he sees the $5, his eyes light up, and he's following it. He puts it under the cup, and he starts moving it around. And it's really not that hard to follow. Like, I'm watching the video. I know where the $5 bill is. He knows where the $5 bill is. And he says, okay, which one do you want? And the kid points to the cup with the $5, lifts it up. Sure enough, there's $5. And this kid gets this big grin like, wow, that was like the easiest five bucks I've ever made. And then that smile only lasts a split second because the, the dad takes the other two cups, picks them up, and there are wads of 50s and 100s under the other two cups. And the kid's face turns around again to a, oh, like, if I had only p- picked one of the other two cups, how much money I could have had. And of course, it's funny, and you can see why that video goes viral. But in a way, I think it's a great illustration of, from God's view, how silly and how foolish we must look. Here we are living for earthly riches, and we're like, wow, look at this great car I have, and look at where my kids can go to school, and look at this new outfit I bought, and look at this this new computer and this new TV. And and God's like, well, I'm glad you're happy with your $5, but there's so much more for you. There's so much greater treasure. There's an eternal riches that you could have, but you're oblivious to it. Don't value earthly riches over eternal riches. Uh, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 10, he said, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This also is vanity. If anybody should have known this truth, it was Solomon. Solomon spent uh, much of his life chasing everything he could desire. Anything he wanted, he got it. And in the end, he said, it's all vanity, it's empty, it's hollow, it does not satisfy. And what he's saying is, it doesn't matter how much money you accumulate in this life, it will never fulfill you. And here's what Randy Alcorn says, I love this quote, he says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. All of our money is going to go to somebody else when we die. However, every eternal investment we make will be ours to enjoy 
again for all eternity. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Do you know, actually, it just changed this week, interesting enough, interestingly enough. Do you know who the richest man in the world is today? Elon Musk. It was Jeff Bezos for a while, and before that, Bill Gates. And Elon Musk and Tesla has risen, just a meteoric rise this past year. He's now the richest man in the world. He's worth close to $189 billion, roughly, okay? But, you know, what's a few billion dollars, right? Uh, it was Jeff Bezos. Last year, he hit $200 billion net worth, and now he's down to 185. So I think we need to add him to the church prayer list. He lost $15 billion last year. I think Jeff Bezos is in a really tough spot right now. No, of course, he's doing just fine. $200 billion. Do you know how much money that is? If you make $50,000 a year, it would take you 4 million years to make $200 billion. Insane. But Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and every other billionaire in the world, if their hope is not found in Jesus Christ, I can tell you right now they're not satisfied. They can make a hundred more billion dollars. Make it a trillion dollars. It's not going to be enough. Earthly riches do not satisfy. And now uh, let's look very quickly at 1 Timothy uh, 6, verse 10. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, very famous verse. says this, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I remember seeing a bumper sticker one time that said, If money is the root of all evil, why are churches always begging for it? It made me chuckle. But of course they misquoted the Bible. It's not money is the root of all evil, the love of money. See, money is not evil. Money is a tool just like many other things in this world. But the love of money... Man, that causes all kinds of hurt. Think about the tremendous evil that is committed in the name of the love of money. Robbery and murder and extortion and slavery and trafficking and corruption and on and on the list goes. Evil done in the name of the love of money. So we don't value earthly riches over eternal riches. We evaluate all of our spending in light of God's kingdom. We prioritize our giving over our wants. And we need to regularly confess to God that it's his money and we're willing to part with it if he wants us to. Now, number three, what does the Bible say about spending? We need to organize our spending. Number three, organize our spending. See, being a good steward doesn't happen on accident. If we truly want to honor God with our spending, then we're going to need to be purposeful. And there's going to be some planning and some organization involved. Proverbs 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. We talked about this this morning, putting God first, giving God what's best. I would encourage you to think of your, your spending in this order. Give, save, spend. Give, save, spend. Put God first. Make him priority. Don't go spend, save, give. Don't wait till the end of the month to see, oh, do I have anything left over? Maybe I can be generous. No, no, no. Put God first. Show him that he is what's most important in your life. And your tithe, your missions, your building fund, however you delineate it, organize your spending and put God first. Now Luke chapter 14 verse 28 says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation, is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. So, so the context of this passage here is Jesus is telling his disciples, if you're going to follow me, there's going to be a cost. There's going to be 
Uh, a lot of things you might have to give up in this life in order to follow me. And as an illustration, he says, for instance, think of it, it's like a guy who's going to build a tower. Isn't it common sense that he's going to have to take some time and do some budgeting and do some organizing and think about what it's going to take for him to build this tower? Otherwise, if he just rushes into this project, he's going to get halfway done, and he's not going to be able to finish. And everybody's going to look at him and see this tower and say, what an idiot. Well, I mean, what, what kind of guy goes and builds half a tower? That's useless. And they will mock him because of his lack of planning and his lack of taking time to organize his spending. Now, the, the, the principle or, or the application here is more geared towards our following of Jesus Christ, but I think the, the, the secondary application is clear that it's common sense that in any venture in life, it takes organization. It takes planning. It takes foresight. We can't just rush into things haphazardly and expect them to work out. We have to organize our spending. Let's look uh, now at uh, Proverbs 15, verse 22. What I find uh, sad is that for many of us, we spend more time planning for our vacations than we do for the rest of our finances. We love planning for vacation because it's going to be fun and we're going to have a good time. But the rest of of, of the stuff, the important stuff, we tend to leave undone. Proverbs 15, verse 22 says this, Without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Even well-intentioned people can fail financially and in all other areas because of the neglect getting sound advice. Get good, godly advice from multiple resources. Have trusted resources that can help you from making the wrong decision, and that could be the difference between success and failure. So what does the Bible have to say about spending? Well, that's not a sin, but it is a burden. Be very careful about taking on debt. Only do it if you truly believe before God that it's good and wise stewardship. It's better to not go into debt than to go in debt and be trapped. And then secondly, we need to invest in eternity, to value eternal riches over earthly. Everything we have here on this earth is going to decay one day. It's all going to go away. It's going to be somebody else's. But every good gift, every act of generosity, that will not go away. That is an eternal uh, treasure that will be enjoyed uh, one day in heaven. And then we have to organize our spending. We have to make giving a priority and not just do something when, not just do, not just something we do when we have extra money. We plan for the future and we get good advice. Now, let's shift over to what the Bible has to say about saving tonight. What does the Bible have to say about saving? So this morning, I said that there are some, some extreme views within the broad umbrella of Christianity about uh, uh, prosperity gospel, Poverty gospel, some people think, oh, you live for the Lord, then you're going to get riches and, and God's going to bless you materially. But other people think, no, if you live for God, you won't have any money at all. And, and if you do have money, that just shows your lack of faith. Well, neither one's true. Okay? Your, your, your net worth is not an indication of your godliness. However, what we have to be careful of is sometimes there's certain principles in the Bible that at first glance seem to be at odds with each other, but they really do complement each other. So, so do we trust our riches? Do we trust our money? Do we place our hope in our money? Well, no. We place our hope and our trust in God and him alone. But at the same time, the Bible speaks to the wisdom of saving and planning and preparing for the future. When you save for a future expense, is that showing that you don't trust God? Is that showing that you don't, aren't putting your hope in God? No, it, it's not. We can do both at the same time. 
These are complementary principles. These are not at odds with each other. The Bible speaks to the wisdom of saving. So number one tonight, what does the Bible say about saving? Number one, it's wise to prepare for the future. It's wise to prepare for the future. Let's look at Genesis chapter 41. Very interesting passage here. Genesis chapter 41. We're picking up kind of mid-story here. This is Joseph in the land of Egypt and, and Pharaoh. Pharaoh's had this dream where he's had, there was uh, seven fat cows and seven lean cows and seven fat ears of corn and seven lean ears of corn, and it's a very confusing dream. He doesn't understand it. He needs it interpreted. And God gives Joseph the interpretation, but also the solution to the dream. So notice what it says in verse 34. Joseph says this, let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years and let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. So here's what happened. The dream meant that there was going to be seven really great years, prosperous years in Egypt, immediately followed by seven years of famine. And remember, in an agricultural society, that was a really, really bad thing. Seven years of famine was devastating. That is not something that you survive. But God gave Joseph, of course, the interpretation that that's what the dream means, but also the wisdom to give the solution. So he says, Pharaoh, here's what's going to happen. Seven years of prosperity plus and then followed by seven years of famine. So here's what you need to do. You need to appoint officers, get some people in charge, create an organizational structure, and save one-fifth every year. 20% set it aside, and that way, during the years of famine, your people will live, and they're not going to die because of the famine. Wisdom in preparation. And that's exactly what Pharaoh did. In fact, Pharaoh promoted Joseph because of his wisdom and because of God's favor. And during those seven years of famine, not only did the Egyptians survive, but the Egyptians became that much more prosperous because all of the surrounding countries who had not saved, who had not prepared, who did not have store to last those seven years of famine, had to come to Egypt and had to spend exorbitant amounts of money to buy food from them. So here's a great example of the wisdom of preparing for the future by taking opportunity while you have prosperity to save for times of need. That's what God teaches us, that just because right now maybe things are good and the income's great and we don't have any needs, that doesn't mean, oh, we can just live it up and spend all our money. No, that means we need to have wisdom and set aside a portion because we know it may not always be like this. And 2020, if anything, taught us that that can happen at any time, that we don't know the future, and so it's wise to prepare for the future. Let's look at Proverbs 21 and verse 20. Proverbs 21, 20, it says this, there is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but the foolish man spendeth it up. A, a compare and contrast. The wise person doesn't immediately spend everything he has. Instead, he takes some gold, he takes some oil, he takes some provision, he sets it aside for future needs so he can take care of himself and his family and others who have need. But the foolish person has no foresight. They, they have not prepared at all. They just take whatever they have and boom, it goes right out and they spend. And they have not made any plans or preparation for the future. You know, there's a significant number of Americans, and the number is hard to know, but it's probably around half of Americans that live paycheck to paycheck. And as we talked about last night, I understand in some cases, uh, the reason people are living paycheck to paycheck is because the paycheck's very small, and they don't have any margin to be able to 
put money aside for anything except for necessities. But there's a lot of people who could have room and don't because they live like the foolish man. Every dollar that comes in goes right out, and they have no planning and preparation for the future. Let's look at Proverbs 13, verse 22. It says this, A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, two generations, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Again, a compare and contrast. So the good man is diligent in his planning and his saving to such a degree that his wealth is passed down two generations. But conversely, the wealth of the sinner, ill-gotten wealth, that doesn't usually last long. That typically gets spent up and certainly does not get passed down two generations. So what does the Bible say about saving? It's wise to prepare for the future. But secondly, number two tonight, it's wise to be disciplined. It's wise to be disciplined. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 6. It says this, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. The sluggard. That's not a word we really use a lot today. But what is a sluggard? A lazy person, an undisciplined person. So here's some advice for the lazy person. Go to the ant. Consider her ways and be wise. There's a lesson to be learned by the ant. Now you remember, okay, when you were a kid playing outside and there was an anthill, what did you do? Kick the anthill over, right? I don't know why. This it's just there. You kick it over. That's what you do. It's an anthill. And what immediately happens? You kick the anthill over, and the ants come scurrying out, and what do they do? Do they just stand around and go, oh, this is going to take us a month to rebuild this thing? Do you see a little ant off to the side in a hammock saying, oh, i got a 15-minute union-mandated break? All right. <laughs> no. They immediately go right to it. They start building. When you see them out and about trying to gather food, is there one ant off to the side with a bullhorn saying, hey, get back to work, guys? Get in line over here. No. No overseer, no ruler, no supervisor, no accountability. But what does the ant do? Provides her meat in the summer, gathereth her food in the harvest. You understand? The ant knows intuitively that there is a season that they have to prepare. And then winter is coming, and they won't be able to gather food. There will be no food. So they have to work now and be diligent so that they can prepare for a time of need. And the Bible is saying, hey, lazy person, learn from that. Don't have to have accountability. Don't have to have somebody standing over your shoulder making you do it. Have the responsibility to say, I'm going to take advantage of my opportunity now to prepare and to save for the future. Let's look now at Proverbs chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. We're going to look at several Proverbs here in a row. Proverbs 10, 4 and 5. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand. What's a slack hand? Another, another way of saying a lazy person, somebody who's not diligent, not hardworking. He becometh poor. So laziness often leads to poverty. But the hand of the diligent maketh rich. The hard worker often leads to wealth. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son. He that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. Again, a compare and contrast. Slack hand, lazy, idleness, that tends to lead to poverty diligence, hard work, that tends to lead towards wealth. Gathering in the summer, that's wise. 
But sleeping and harvest, being lazy and procrastinating, that brings shame. So laziness, procrastination, that leads to poverty. Now, let's be very clear here. The Bible is saying there are certain characteristics and qualities that often lead to a certain result. The Bible's not saying everybody who's poor is lazy and a procrastinator. And the Bible's not saying that everybody who's rich is a hard worker and is wise. That's not what the Bible is saying. So we have to be very careful as Christians to not judge people's character or their spirituality based solely on their net worth. Okay? Uh, James chapter 2 talks about how the, the church was being preferential in its treatment to people based solely off of their, their wealth. Uh, James was saying there's people that come into your, your church and they're poor and you're saying, well, why don't you have a seat on the floor? Well, you can stand in the back. But if somebody rich comes in and they have a gold ring and they have really nice clothes, you're like, oh, why don't you sit here in this nice seat? He's saying, that, that's not right. We shouldn't be preferential to people just because they happen to have more money. Instead, we have to understand that we treat people equally because they're all made in the image of God. However, certain qualities, certain characteristics often lead to a result. Okay, so, so I hope we're clear on that. Proverbs 21, verse 5. So laziness and procrastination lead to poverty, but what else? Proverbs 21, 5 says, the thoughts of the diligent, so the planning, the foresight of the diligent, that tends only to plenteousness. So when you plan and you save and you, you're, 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 you're diligent, that tends to lead to wealth. But of everyone that is hasty only to want. So the person who's hasty, who's undisciplined, who's impulsive, that leads to want. That leads again to poverty. Principle, okay? Not a promise, but a principle. So thoughts, planning and foresight leads to wealth. Hastiness, impulsiveness, undiscipline, that leads to poverty. So saving and budgeting and planning, they require intentionality. You know why they put the milk and the bread in the back of the grocery store? You know why they do that, right? You've gone to the grocery store, you need to get two things, and it's like, why is it all the way over there? It's the exact opposite side of the store. Because they know people need to get those things. They want you to walk the entire length of the store so that you pass by every aisle, and hopefully you'll say, hmm, I, I guess I can pick up some strawberries. Eh, let's put some chips in the basket, they want you to make an impulsive shopping decision. That's why they put candy and gum and soda in the checkout aisle. So you're standing there waiting to pay, and you're like, mm, yeah, why don't we put that, in the, put that on the belt as well, right? An impulse buy. That's literally what they call it in marketing, an impulse buy. And while buying some gum at the grocery store is not going to lead you to poverty, what is going to lead to poverty many times is impulsiveness in your financial life in general. So you have to be careful of not, not being hasty, but rather saving and budgeting and planning. These are Bible principles, folks. These are not just secular, contemporary, good ideas and tips about finances. These are truths contained in God's word. Proverbs 13, verse 11 says this, wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished. So we understand laziness and procrastination and impulsiveness. These things lead to poverty, but also wealth that's gotten by vanity shall be diminished. Uh, what, what does this mean, vanity? Uh, it would carry this idea of money that's gotten through a dishonest means or money that's acquired very quickly, kind of in a windfall fashion. Money that's gotten that way tends not to last. But he that gathereth by labor shall increase. So again, a compare and contrast. The person who gets money in, in an ill-gotten way or just all at once, that money tends to be diminished. But the person who gathers by labor, who works hard and incrementally builds wealth, that tends to last because that person understands the sacrifice and the value of earning that money over time, and that tends to not go away very quickly. 
That's why about one-third of lottery winners end up bankrupt. Did you know that? A significant portion of lottery winners end up worse than they were when they won the lottery. I mean, that is an astounding realization. They also have higher levels of substance abuse, uh, divorce, uh, depression, anxiety, statistically speaking, higher levels. Why? Because when somebody just gets money all at once and has not built the skills and the healthy habits that it takes to manage money well, well, that money tends not to last very long. But the person who builds it little by little and saves and is diligent, very rarely is that money uh, diminished. So laziness and procrastination and hastiness and lack of discipline, these things lead to poverty. But hard work and discipline and planning, these things lead to wealth. Now, number three tonight, and lastly, what does the Bible say about saving? Number three, it's wise to make your money work for you. It's wise to make your money work for you. That's what a good money manager does, right? They take somebody else's money they've been entrusted with, and they put that capital to work to get a good return. And what we have to understand as Christians is when God entrusts us with his money, then we need to be diligent and wise to put that money to work. Let's look at Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. We, we looked at this parable this morning, the parable of the talents. So we spent some time on it. I'm not going to, to read through the whole passage again, but remember the story? Remember how the master is going on a trip and he says, all right, one servant, I'm going to give you five talents of money and another servant, two talents of money and then one talent of money. And the servant who got the one talent went and hid it. He dug a hole and just buried the money in the ground. And, and of course, the, the whole point of that story is the master comes back and he says, yes, the first two servants, great job. You doubled my money. You were responsible. You were wise. Well done. But the other servant who was fearful, who shirked his responsibility, who was unwilling to be a good manager, he was reprimanded and his, his talent was taken from him. And of course, for us, what, what we have to understand is, as a principle here is that God entrusts all of us with a certain amount. Not the same, and he doesn't expect the same results, but he does expect us to be responsible and to be wise, and we are accountable to God. One day, we, we will stand before him and answer for how we lived our life, and yes, that includes even how we handled our money. And the excuse at that time will not be, well, I mean, come on, Lord, I, I never made six figures, so don't I get a pass on that? That's not how it works. It doesn't matter how much we've been given, it matters how responsible we are with the amount that God has entrusted us with. Let's look at Proverbs 31, a couple interesting verses in Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, of course, is uh, the, the, the majority of it talks about the virtuous woman who is held up as, as a great model of biblical womanhood. And it's interesting in all of those verses that describe the virtuous woman that a couple of them speak to her ability and her wisdom to make her money work for her. Let's look at verse 16, first of all. Proverbs 31, 16 says, she considereth a field and buyeth it. This is an investment opportunity, right? Here is a place where she can grow a vineyard. So she analyzes it. Is this a good decision? She buys it. So she has money set aside to invest. She's been wise and diligent to save. And with the fruit of her hand, she planteth a vineyard. So she, she starts a business venture whereby she will be able to take that money, put it to work, and make even more money by making a wise investment. This is a commendable trait of the virtuous woman. Not only that, in verse 24, she maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. So she maketh fine linen. Now, 
uh, from what I gather, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not somebody who knows much about materials, but linen uh, would have been a very difficult uh, fabric to make in those days. It required a lot of work. It was very precious. It's a very soft and breathable fabric. So in that area of the world, very, very precious, very valuable type of material. So here's a woman who understands the value of entrepreneurship, understands the value of working hard and, and, and creating a, a, a good that people will buy. And so she invests, she sells, and she profits, and these are commendable traits. These are things that God lifts up and says, this is a good model of what it means to be a good manager of God's money. And now let's look at Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 2. Solomon, of course, again, writing Ecclesiastes, wisest man who ever lived, and he has some investment advice for us. Very interesting verse here. Ecclesiastes 11.2 says, Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. Give a portion to seven and also to eight. That's an interesting phrase. What does that mean? Well, it's a, it's a turn of phrase. Uh, kind of like we would say, um, just a second. I'll be there in a minute. Do we mean that literally? Like, I'll be there in one second. I'll be there in 60 seconds. No, we, we mean I'll be there shortly. I'll be there soon, right? It's a turn of phrase. That's what this is. Give a portion to seven and also to eight. In other words, not literally seven or eight portions, but rather not one, not two, not, not a couple, but several. Okay? And what, what the verse is saying here is give a portion. Divide your, your, your goods, your resources into different portions, they don't have it all in one place. Why? Well, he answers the reason why in the second part of the verse. For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. Why do you divide your money out into different portions and not keep it all in one place or in one, uh, one investment? Because you never know what might go wrong. You never know what bad thing might happen. You know what we would call that today? Diversifying. We talked about it yesterday in our Saturday session. This is, this is something that in our 21st century American world, we would say, here's a great secular uh, 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 financial principle. Diversify your portfolio. And that sounds really enlightened. That sounds like, wow, you have such great secular knowledge. But you know what? That's right from God's word. It's the same principle here. What we have to understand, folks, is that, again, as we've said so many times, the Bible has the answers. So often we, we, we say, oh, wow, we, we've got this great idea, this great advice, and really comes back to, it's the same idea, it's the same principle that God already tells us in his word. So why do we save? What's the point? Is it so that one day we can take a great vacation? Is it so that one day we'll be able to quit our job and we can sit back and just enjoy life and have it easy and have it comfortable? I'm not against those things. I'm not saying that it's wrong for us to enjoy life or to enjoy nice things, but if all of our saving if all of our preparation is just so that it's for our own selfish purposes, then we've missed it. We save because we're being a wise manager. We're save, we save so that we can use our time and our energy and our resources to help others. The wise person recognizes the truth that God's money is a resource to be stewarded to the glory of God. So here we are. We've talked about what does the Bible say about giving. What does the Bible say about spending? What does the Bible say about saving? Maybe you, you sit here tonight and say, okay, Nate, that was good. It was a good reminder. You know, we got the building program coming up, and, and that's exciting. So, yep, I get it. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of step it up. I'll give a little bit more to uh, the offering and the building fund, and yeah. 
Can I say that if that's your takeaway from this weekend, then you've missed it. This is not about making a bigger donation. It's not about a financial transaction. This is about allowing the gospel and the truth of John 3.16 to permeate our hearts and to say, wow, it's not mine. And wow, God, this all belongs to you, but you've given it to me to manage. And man, I can, I can make an eternal investment and I can worship you and I can help others, but that's also directed to you. And in 2021, I would challenge you, I would encourage you to say, God, let me be driven by your word in the area of finances. Let my giving and my saving and my spending be all done for your honor and for your glory because I want to be a good manager of your money. And to the degree that that is what motivates us and how we handle our finances in 2021 and beyond, I believe God would honor that. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.